Hey, Alpaca Pals, it's me, Erin, back to chat with you about responsible travel. A couple months back, I connected with Amanda Kendall. She's an Australian travel enthusiast, blogger, and podcaster. She hosts the Thoughtful Travel Podcast, which explores travel in a thoughtful way. Today, I'm sharing with you a conversation we recorded with Amanda earlier this year. I know Alpaca My Bags is on a break right now, but we wanted to bring you some bonus content while you patiently await the launch of season three. Our new season is going to launch this coming October. We've been super, super busy recording with some guests that we know you will love, so I hope you're as excited as we are. For now, please enjoy hearing Amanda and I's relaxed and lighthearted conversation about our passion for travel, the things we've learned about how to travel responsibly, and more. One of my favorite moments was when Amanda shared with me how she's raising her 10-year-old son to be as addicted to travel as she is. Because you know, when I have a kid, I will definitely be raising them to be a travel addict just like me. Let's dive in. Amanda, you reached out to me over Instagram, I believe it was. I actually can't I remember anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't remember either, but I do remember that um, coincidentally, actually, one of my lovely listeners who's also named Erin put me onto your podcast. So she is actually an American living in Copenhagen who's been on my podcast. And she said, Amanda, Amanda, you have to listen to this podcast. It's awesome. And I hadn't found you before that. And then I saw all the, even just the titles of the episodes and I was like, oh my goodness, this is like completely me. I love this stuff. So uh, yeah. And then I thought, I have to talk to you. That's awesome. I was so happy to <laughs> hear that you'd heard th- about us through someone else. That's that's so nice to hear when people are telling other people about the podcast. And you live, where in Australia are you? Oh, I'm in Perth in Western Australia. So it's famous for being the most isolated city in the world because the next city is like a three and a half, four hour flight away. I've been there and I know that it is actually the furthest city that you can go to from Toronto, which is where we <laughs> no are. <way. laughs> so I remember being there and thinking like, this is literally the furthest I could get from Toronto without going into the bush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's lovely. That's just like, yeah. So we are really on the opposite sides of the world and chatting. That's perfect. Truly. It's so cool. How long have you been doing your podcast? And can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes. So I run the Thoughtful Travel podcast. So the Thoughtful Travel podcast is always always about thinking about travel, not just, it's not a destination-based podcast. It's not about, you know, 25 things to do in Perth. I usually chat with two or three guests each episode, like separately, and uh, combine it all together around a particular topic. So, uh, and sometimes it's, you know, quite thoughtful, like quite deep, uh, you know, um, yeah, personal development and travel or uh, sustainability issues. And sometimes it's it's more fun and frivolous, but still about, you know, kind of the bonus parts of travel. Like I had one recently about stories of people you've sat next to on a plane and had, you know, three hilarious and fascinating stories from different guests who'd sat next to really intriguing people on airplanes. So yeah, it kind of varies. Yeah. I actually listened to that one and I was, I was giggling so loudly. My partner was like, what are you listening to? And I had to make him listen because it was so funny. (laughs) Uh, I know, especially the first story, Paul, with the woman who fell asleep on him, that really made me laugh a lot. (laughs) Yeah. 
definitely recommend that particular episode if you want some lighthearted content. But I really like that approach that you mix up the more heavy and thoughtful content with lighter things. That's something we also try to do because I think it just gets a little too... It's almost exhausting to like constantly be thinking critically about it. Yeah, exactly. Like I love how I mean, you guys talk about travel through a, you know thinking about it through a critical lens, which is like a much better way of saying what I've been trying to say all these years. <laughs> but um, it's very succinct and clear. But yeah, I've listened to a bunch of your episodes, and although you have a lot of that serious stuff, which is super important, I was just listening actually this morning to um, the one at for Christmas time with you and um, and Katie, your producer, chatting, and uh, I love that as a different kind of episode as well. It's always nice to get to know you know the people behind the podcast as well. Yeah, we really miss recording in person right now. So up until this point, we would always record together in the room. And I really love that Katie is part of the podcast, but in a less obvious way. Like our listeners are very aware of her because like she does pop in here and there to say things or you'll hear her giggling in the background. And I really love that element of it. I think it like really humanizes us as as a podcast. And so it's been a really strange transition to move into this remote recording situation. And I really, miss you, Aaron. I know I miss you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really nice because it took me, you know, I've been doing it for four years. And so now I really know my listeners really well because we have a Facebook group and they're really active. And, you know, I've even got to meet heaps of them. So they are real people. But certainly in the first few months, I felt like I was talking to no one. And if I'd had like a producer in the corner or next to me, that would have made a big difference to feel like I was actually speaking to real people. Yeah. (laughs) So how has it been um, with coronavirus where you are? Well, it seems like, I don't know, perhaps the advantage of being in the isolated part of the world means it's, it's moving quite slowly. But uh, now we're, you know, we're at home. I've moved all my work online. My son's at home. Uh, We don't really go out except to the park, which luckily is straight uh, across the road from us. And um, yeah, I'm not thriving because I'm an extrovert and I really like to have people around me. But we just won't be traveling anywhere. That's the worst part. (laughs) I know. How have you been feeling about that? Also, like, tell me about your background with travel and and like the role that it's played in your life what led you to making this podcast um just your relationship with travel Mm -hmm. so uh, travel has always been important to me even as a child I was really lucky so yeah here in Australia people get something called long service leave so my dad had been working at the bank for many years and so he could take six months off paid and in that six months when I was nine my parents took us to Europe. We bought a, a motorhome, a camper van, and we traveled around for six months. So it was a very budget-based uh, trip, but it was six months, which is a really long time when you're nine years old. Made a really big impression to me, you know, and coming from, you know, somewhere like Australia where, you know, you can't drive to a border, there's nowhere, uh, you know, suddenly we could drive across borders and the language would change and the culture would change and the food would change. And that was, just blew my mind. And I wanted to, wanted to do more and more of that. So... Um, did lots of other trips, but when I was in my mid twenties, I moved abroad for about six years. So I decided to go as an English teacher because this is kind of 
well, 15, 18 years ago now, that was kind of the way to do it. You couldn't really be a digital nomad back then. But um, so I lived in Japan for a couple of years and Slovakia and in Germany for a few years and did lots of travel like in between those contracts and, and all of that. So that was kind of my really intense travel period. And, you know, I'm kind of like, I don't feel alive unless I'm, you know, getting ready to travel. Really, that's, I don't know, it just lights me up and it, you know, changes everything for me. It, you know, it's influenced every part of my life. Uh, And now I'm based back in Perth and I have a a 10 year old son. He's just turned 10, I have to remember. And we travel as much as we can. So it's just him and me. So he's an awesome travel companion. And I have completely brainwashed him to be obsessed with travel as well. So, um, <laughs> so we, um, yeah, we get it, get out, get out um, into the world as often as we can, which is not super often when we live in Perth because it's quite far to everywhere. And, you know, I still have to work my kind of quote unquote day job stuff and he has to go to school sometimes. But uh, yeah, certainly travel infiltrates everything that we think about and everything we do. What about you? Where did your travel come from? Yeah, go on. I was just going to say it's so good to hear that you can brainwash your own children because that's definitely my plan. Yes. <laughs> when you need tips, I've got them all. <laughs> I'll be in touch. <laughs> my partner and I are already like, okay, so Matt leave. We'll do that in Italy, right? <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Exactly. Yeah, that's Yep. We're just thinking you are on the right track already. Can... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, they're definitely brainwashable. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess they all come out different, but mine, I don't know. I don't know. If I hadn't done it, would he be different? I don't know. But uh, it's good for them too. Like he, like I can see so many aspects of his personality and his like values and stuff that have been shaped by our travels. So um, it's brainwashing for a really good cause. Absolutely. And when you think about it, like children are just like sponges for information. And when you travel, you're taking in all new information and new culture. And it's way, it's more information overload than you ever get at home. So I imagine that as a child, it's very stimulating to travel. Absolutely. I mean, what really annoys me now is because I've always really prided myself on my um, geography knowledge. And now, because of his, you know, he's got a 10-year-old brain instead of a 44-year-old <laughs> brain. Like, he can quiz me. We've got this map in our um, in our hallway with um, with all the flags and the um, capital cities and currencies and everything, and he'll quiz me, and he knows more than I do now. Like, he'll know, you know, a really obscure, um, you know, Central African nation's um, capital and currency that I don't know, and it really bugs me. <laughs> so then I spend hours staring at it trying to memorise them all, but... Uh, he's just better at it. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, that also means you're doing a great parenting job because he's he's a sharp he's a sharp one. So I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Still annoying though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess for me, interestingly, my parents never traveled much with us as children, um, but they had traveled together before they had us. So my parents got married later in life and they had us towards the end of their 30s. So they had done a lot of living by the time they had us and that included a round the world trip. And growing up, my parents would tell me these stories all the time about their trips. 
And I have distinct memories of like looking through photo books that my mom, my mom was a photographer when she was young, especially. And so when they traveled, she always took these incredible photographs and she just has books and books of them. So I remember sitting on the floor and looking through these and asking questions. And I think although I didn't travel with my family a lot because yeah, it was expensive. There were three kids. It just wasn't in the budget to take us overseas. They still were able to stimulate our interest in it by telling us these stories that really fascinated us. And then with the photos to back them up, it was just, it inspired a lot of like curiosity in me. And then when I was a teenager, they They really encouraged me to make my own money to go out and work, and I wanted to do that. And they said, okay, you can save that money to do with whatever you want. And I told them I wanted to travel. And I think I was like 17 or 18. And interestingly, I have friends who their parents would have never said that, but my parents were like, oh yeah, save your money and go to Europe. And it just was like no issue for them. They really encouraged me to just save some money and fly to Europe by myself and travel around, which is what I ended up doing. And I was hooked from that moment onwards. And like you say, it's become such a, it's become something that just gives me such happiness in life. And I feel the most alive like you when I'm traveling And I feel like it's an addiction. I just, I'm always thinking about when I can next explore somewhere new. It is an addiction, I agree. (laughs) Yeah, I met my partner in a hostel. And from that moment forth, like we were together and, and we just feed each other's obsession. And so once you're with someone who's equally obsessed, like you have your son, for me, it's my partner, we just feed each other. So it's like our conversations are constantly around, like, where are we going to go next? (laughs) I think there are way worse addictions we could have. Yeah, absolutely. And so, like you were saying, like you had sort of a peak moment of travel. And I think I also had that in the last like few years, I managed to slip away from work and take time off school to do some really long trips and to live abroad. And now because I work full time, it's more like I get a lot of time off, but it's it's not nearly what I would mm, ideally same. have. Yeah. And so now I found that this podcast and my blog are kind of my outlet where I share my experiences and my thoughts and and get to talk to other people who are, you know, have done different kinds of travels and yeah, I kind of do a lot of vicarious traveling through my guests and it really helps because It's not quite the same as doing it yourself, but when you get to have a good chat with someone about a trip you've never been able to take, then that really does help, you know, feed that travel addiction. I'm wondering what some of your, you've been doing it for four years, so you must have so much to say on this, but I'm sure you've experienced, as I have, that hosting a podcast like this isn't, I'm by no means an authority, and I always try to emphasize that. I'm just enabling other people to share their knowledge and their perspectives. And so I find I'm constantly learning as I host this podcast, and I'm sure you you are as well. Exactly the same, for sure. I'm curious what your biggest takeaways or what the most impactful things you've learned have been. Oh, gosh, so many. I think... Like I always try to adopt this philosophy of like no more and do better because I remember, you know, only a handful of years ago 
where I didn't realise, for example, that, um, you know, that riding an elephant was definitely a no-no. To me now, that's clearly a, you know, horrible thing to do. You know, elephants shouldn't be, you know, broken in and all of this. You know, that seems to me very clear now. But I remember very clearly when someone first mentioned that to me. And it was before my podcast, it was, but it was through my travel blog a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, so I've made, I've done things in the past that I wouldn't do now. Uh, and so I always have this like no more do better kind of thinking and I don't expect my guests, uh, sorry, my, my listeners to have thought about everything that my guests will then tell them about either. I think every guest teaches me, you know, one or two little things that I then, you know, kind of fit into my kind of hierarchy of how to be a thoughtful traveller, I suppose. So, you know, certainly stories from um, guests who've done or guests who've been involved with volunteer organisations that are either very good or very bad, you know, are really aware of, you know, bad volunteerism projects and, you know, orphanage tourism kind of things. And I've learned a lot about those from my guests. And hearing from someone who's, like, seen this stuff, you know, firsthand is so much more powerful than kind of just reading an article about it, you know, that doesn't, you know, I don't know, it's just not quite the same as hearing from someone who's really been there, done that. So um, I don't know, there's so many things that I've learned, little little sustainability tips or um, even just like personal stuff, the way that people have, you know, grown and changed. I had a guest recently who talked to me about how um, she has a different personality when she's traveling compared to when she's at home. And, um, and I kind of like, it's really something that stuck with me and I've been trying to think, oh yeah, in some ways I do too. Isn't that interesting? And, and can I bring more of my travel personality, which I think is like my superior personality? Can I be more like that in my normal life? And I mean, there's just endless things. My guests are incredible, like with the kinds of things that they teach me about and, and hopefully that then we can together pass on to my listeners, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I'm curious to know what kind of things have you learned from your guests as well? Well, I'll just start by saying that the different personality thing, that is hilarious. And I completely agree. I am the same way as well. <laughs> <laughs> my, my partner and I joke about how, like, when we go traveling, we become absurdly silly to the point that, like, we could not be the way we are when we travel at home because we wouldn't be accepted into society. <laughs> That's true. You can get away with a lot more when you're when you're on the road, hey. <laughs> Especially when like the people around you can understand you. Like I remember traveling in India, and we had like almost a different language developed because it really didn't matter. It, we were so insular; like we never encountered other travelers, and so we just sort of like digressed into this random language that we had developed it's so funny that other people experience this as well yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I I've definitely been impacted by the interviews that I've I've held on this podcast and the people that I've talked to and the, the perspectives that have been brought to my attention and I have to say like now when I do travel I find that I travel more aware of certain issues like for example like you mentioned the um, animal tourism and the treatment of wildlife I definitely used to have a more nonchalant approach to it whereas now I've learned what to look for and what the red flags are and it's more top of mind than it used to be when I traveled and that's really thanks to reaching out to people who have experience and can share what they've seen and what they've learned. Another really impactful one was an episode we did with um, 
the campaign No White Saviors. Mm. You may have seen them. They're all over Instagram. They're fantastic. They're great. Yeah, I love this. I love their work. It's very, very impactful to me, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And speaking with them was, I'll admit, I was like so overwhelmed to speak with them because I know that like I am part of the problem to a degree. And so that that conversation, the biggest thing I learned from them, and I always think about this now, they said to me repeatedly, we need to ask people to travel for what a country has, not what it doesn't have. It's such a succinct way of saying, like, travel isn't about seeing where a country doesn't excel. It's not about taking pictures of dirt roads or impoverished communities. It's about celebrating what those countries do have. That's very, very true. Another one that really struck me was more recent. Um, We interviewed an environmental activist about the impact of flying. And admittedly, this was also something I've been a little, I'd argue I've been willfully ignorant about because I didn't want to (laughs) accept. (laughs) Sometimes it's better not to know, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that said, like coming away from that conversation, it did really equip me to think about, okay, I... Obviously, I cannot cut out certain flights because otherwise that that would mean I can't travel. But what I can cut out are domestic flights. And it helped me to realize, okay, like taking a flight from Toronto to Ottawa is not, it's not necessary and I should really put more effort into stopping that. And so I have. And so, yeah, it's really like incredible the way that the guests have shaped my view of travel and the way that I travel. And I think like collectively they've helped me become a more intentional and responsible traveler. And I hope that the listeners have the same experience. I'm sure they do. I've always, you know, often heard stories back from my listeners, you know, and because it's been going for quite a few years, they, it's had enough time that it has changed, you know, their habits and their choices. And I, you know, I like to think that we're really helping. So uh, yeah, I still, I'm not perfect. And when you live in Perth, it's nearly impossible to travel without flying because nowhere really is driving or train distance unless you've well, it's just nearly impossible. But I do I do take that on board like, you know, quite heavily and at least, you know, cut down the number of trips and do, you know, I'm really into the, the slow travel approach where I go to one destination for a longer time uh, and, you know, let go of the, you know, that desire to check off a bunch of things on a list and try and experience something in a longer, more, you know, kind of local feeling way instead and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. My guests have certainly changed a lot about the way I travel and definitely all for the better. Yeah. What are the things I, I'll, I'll give you the, the reason I'm asking this question. I actually chatted last night with a friend of mine who had just been to Mexico City and I have been there as well. And we were talking about what our favorite parts of the city were. And my friend and I had really different experiences because although we were both there for almost a week, the things that we focused on were really different. So for example, she was really into the museums of Mexico City, whereas Lucas and I um, we're more interested in like walking around all the different markets. And it's got me thinking a lot about the things that stick with me after travel and the memories that remain the most vivid 
any experiences that I appreciate the most down the road. And I think it's very different. It's a very, very subjective, yeah, and personal preference. So yeah, for me, it's definitely markets and cafes. And like, like I said, I could slow travel for me is just about that about like, spending a long time just sitting around and watching the world go by. And I think that that's something people really take for granted sometimes. What about you? What tends to stick with you? Yes, yeah, similar. Um, I mean, it's a little bit different because I'm always traveling with, a, nearly always traveling with my son. And so, I mean, in fact, he kind of taught me this, I have to admit. So pre him, you know, I would land in a new place and I'd want to see everything and I would, you know, race around and, you know, tick off all the sites. But uh, I soon, you know, pretty early on learned that with a kid that was not going to work out at all. And um, so I'm grateful for him for having taught me this along with, you know, things I've learned from my guests. So I kind of, yeah, I just approach it as we're going to go and stay somewhere and just see what's around. Like I rarely plan much. For example, last year we went to Copenhagen and Denmark and we had about eight, nine days in Copenhagen first up. And we just had an Airbnb apartment in a, you know, nice local area, but fairly close to the the city centre. And we uh, rented bicycles we didn't use even any public transport. Oh, one time we went on a train to a, a, an art gallery in the north, but uh, other than that, we were on our bikes the whole week. And, you know, we went and saw a few, you know, kind of sightseeing kind of things, but we didn't necessarily go and see everything. We certainly didn't see everything that would be on the, you know, 10 things to see in Copenhagen list. And we explored local parks. Um, we had his soccer ball, so we went and kicked that in various different parts of, of Copenhagen and, you know, all sorts of just little things like that. You know, when we look back on it, we remember being in the apartment building and seeing how, you know, the local local people lived. Like there was a, um, a childcare centre that was housed within our apartment building. So we'd see all the little kids come out at certain break times and, and see what happened there. And we'd see all the dads come and pick them up at the end of the day because Copenhagen is so forward that like there's maternity leave and paternity leave and it's really 50-50. So there'd be all these dads who were in charge of the kids and things like this and, you know, which was astounding to me um, and wonderful. And, you know, we, we would go to different bakeries because we'd heard that, you know, Danish pastries are pretty good and they were right. <laughs> and um, so we'd try lots of those things. And so those are the kind of things that we look back on and remember the most. And, yeah, we didn't go to many museums. We went to like one really awesome art gallery that, you know, a friend of mine had recommended and she was spot on. It was brilliant. But we didn't go to all of the, you know, tick the box kind of places. And I don't mind at all that we didn't do that because I just love that feeling. Like I felt, okay, this is how, if I was going to live in Copenhagen, this is how it would feel. And I really loved being able to experience that. Yeah, it is about getting in, into the habit of feeling like you actually know what like life is like in that location as much as you can as a tourist. Of course. Yeah, yeah. But certainly, yeah, there's sort of, you know, there's things you can do to make, you know, give yourself that feeling more. And of course, you know, other people want to see all the museums and if those particular museums are your thing, that's totally fine. Or go and see, you know, all the, you know, I don't know, seeing the Little Mermaid is the thing in Copenhagen, but really... That's, um, we saw it from a boat trip we did from, from behind and heard all the funny stories from the guy, the Danish guy we were with who, 
um, grew up living near it and, you know, had to redirect tourists who couldn't find it because they were expecting it to be like Statue of Liberty size instead of like doll size and stuff like that. So that was our experience of that. And, you know, that was for me a better experience than lining up with the crowds of, of tourists and yeah, so yeah, I mean, everyone to their own. But like, I think you're right. You've got to sort of figure out what what you really get out of. Like you said, exactly right. What do you remember later? What's the stuff that you know really sticks with you? And then do more of that. You've just brought to mind um, you're just the way you described like living in the apartment and just looking out the window and watching other people really has me reminiscing about our time in India specifically because that was what a lot of our day-to-day life became because there's actually and if you spend a long time there which we did you kind of run out of touristy things to do so little things like noticing that they sell chips there in these like they're like all attached to each other so they'll hang so you'll see these like long hanging lines of chips I don't know how to describe it they're all attached to each other like at the bottoms right and you could like tear them off or yeah you can tear them off so the joke would become like can we find the longest string of chips to buy like how many bags could we get in one strip (laughs) I love that oh my son would be all over that he would be looking everywhere Yeah. And things like that are the things that I like really reminisce about and remember afterwards. And just like the people staring at us because we're walking around with like 20 bags of chips attached to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I could travel with you. You're my kind of traveler. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I love it. I'm curious how you go about deciding on destinations, especially with your son. Does he play a big part in in choosing where you guys will go? Um, I definitely get him involved because there's nothing worse than trying to drag a child to somewhere that they think they don't want to go. So um, I definitely make sure he is involved for sure. And it's um, often kind of random though. Like, for example, when we went to Copenhagen, we actually um, had to go to Thailand for a family wedding, for my son's cousin's wedding. And I had it in mind, well, when we're going to Thailand, we'll, you know, we'll look for an airfare that goes, you know, somewhere else as well, or we'll go, you know, but I was kind of thinking somewhere else in Southeast Asia. But, um, you know, then I'm on all these, you know, email lists for, you know, great airfares. And there was this awesome deal that would take us to Thailand. We could stop for the wedding and then go on to either Copenhagen or Stockholm, I think it was. No, Oslo. Copenhagen or Oslo were our choices. And it was a super deal and it was just the right time. And so I said to him, hey, look at this. This is a great deal. And, you know, where should we go? And he's obsessed with Lego because he's a boy who, you know, loves to build things. And so, of course, he knew that, you know, Lego is is from Denmark and we could go to the Danish Legoland and the Lego house and all of this stuff if we went to Denmark. And so he said, well, definitely Copenhagen. I was like, OK, oh, let's go. So, you know, it was really kind of a random, random thing. But then I got him involved to choose. So um, sometimes it's, it's a lot of random stuff. Sometimes it's trips that are through the podcast and so... There, um, we're invited on various trips, and we just we'll go anywhere. We're invited pretty much, so um, so that's good. Or like I took him to Japan a couple of years ago because like I lived there, um, you know, for two years, but you know before I had him, and so I've got I'm quite obsessed with with Japan, and I've told him lots of stuff about it over the years. So he was very ready to go there, and he's ready to go back as well. He's like, when are we going to Japan again? So uh, 
yeah, all kinds of random reasons that we travel, really. And um, I don't, I try not to have like a, a bucket list or anything because I just think there's there's no way we can go everywhere we want to. Life is not long enough. So let's just see what happens and, you know, we'll pick what happens next. So what about you? Yeah, we have a very similar approach where you, usually we have a couple places in mind and then we'll see what kind of flight deals we can find. But yeah, we try not to limit ourselves. For example, like I think it was last year, we had been intending to go back to India. And then one day we got a flight deal in our in our email that was like, it was something absurd, like $350 to fly to Jordan and back from Canada, which is really far. Yeah. <laughs> and we thought, okay, well, we can't not do that. So we just booked that instead. And that was our trip. And we were relatively unprepared for it, but it ended up being an incredible experience. And so, yeah, a lot of it has to do with just what deals we find. And we'll talk sometimes about like what kind of trip we want to have, if we want to go somewhere warm, if we want to do hiking, if we want to go to the beach, things like that will factor in. But really, like there's never any limitations when we travel. I mean, there's nowhere that you don't want to go, surely. That's how I feel. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd go anywhere. So yeah. yeah, there's something good to be found anywhere. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But more recently, we've been trying to think about traveling more within Canada, which is different for us because we've always traveled internationally and been pretty obsessed with that. And the thing is, travel in Canada is so expensive. And so a lot of the time it's like, oh, well, we could fly to BC, but we could also fly to Asia for less money. And so then that always It's the same from Australia, same in Australia, exactly. So yeah, it's uh, much cheaper for us to have a trip. I mean, the flight is often cheaper, plus being there is significantly cheaper to be in Asia. I mean, from Perth, it's only three hours to Indonesia. So, you know, we can easily get into Asia and then the cost of living there, obviously significantly cheaper than travelling in Australia. Yeah. (laughs) Have you ever been to Canada? I have. I've only been to the West Coast, only to Vancouver and Vancouver Island, and it's probably 15, 16 years ago. I went while I lived in Japan and I loved it. I always reckon that, you know, Canada and Australia have so many similarities. It's just that it's colder there. But, um, like, Canadian people are similar to Australian people and you're kind of like, you know, a a massive land area with a small population and, I don't know, really like-minded. And I would love to get back and see way more of Canada because I love, you know, amazing landscapes and clearly I have seen plenty of pictures to prove to me that there's a lot of that in Canada. Yeah, absolutely. One of my um, regrets is not going to Darwin when I was in Australia. I really want to go up to the northern part of Australia. For some reason, it just seems so mysterious to me. Um, I have to confess, I haven't been to Darwin either, and I feel the same about it, but I have not had the chance to get there yet. So I've been to the, to the Northern Territory and to Uluru in the south of the Northern Territory, but I've never been up to Darwin, and it does seem mysterious. It seems like a place where it's almost lawless. It's not in a, in a good way. Like, it's just, you know, kind of this chilled out place where people are a little bit nuts, and it's, yeah, I want to go. So one day, one day. <laughs> I know Aussies when I was in Australia the thing I learned is that Aussies will always poke fun at you and they love to 
they love to playfully lie to you. And so I got a lot of stories about drop bears and snakes and other things that were out there to try to eat or harm me. But one of su- one of these such stories, and you can tell me if it's true or not, because it could be totally, totally untrue. Someone told me that if I went up to Darwin, not to go near the ocean, because the second you step in the ocean, a crocodile will attack you. <laughs> Honestly, I can't confirm or deny, but it does seem a little bit dramatic. (laughs) The second you step in it, it does seem, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Let's, I I, I don't want to, I don't want to endanger you by saying, no, that's rubbish, but I honestly don't know. (laughs) I don't understand the whole crocodile thing in the North because it freaks me out. And so I just try and bury my head in the sand and not learn about it, I think. Because down here we have just beautiful beaches, so you can swim here in Perth anytime. It's it's cold, the water always, but it's beautiful and it's, you know, okay, an occasional shark, but very rare and, you know, usually it's fine. So we just can hop in the be- in the in the ocean any old time. The crocodile thing is a bit scary. Blah. <laughs> I went out to Rottnest Island when I was uh, there in Perth and that's actually one of the most beautiful places I went in Australia. It was incredible. It's beautiful there. Did you did you get the chance to stay overnight or just have a day trip out there? I didn't. I didn't even know you could stay overnight. I just did the day trip. Yes. yes. <gasps> so is, I think we kind of keep it a bit of a secret, but that is the ultimate thing to do because during the, during the day trip time, there's a lot more tourists there, but about four or half past four, all the ferries have gone and then it's just the people who are staying and, oh, it's just an idyllic, amazing, beautiful place. So, you know, there's nearly no cars, only, you know, a few cars for the, like, the service people. Oh, it's just, yeah, one of my very favourite places in the world. Yeah, it's beautiful. We're very lucky. Yeah. I can tell you a funny story about when I went to Australia. I went because I had friends here in Toronto who were Australian and they had come here to work. And I would always make fun of them when they were living here because they thought that squirrels were really cute. Do you know what squirrels are? Yes, I do. And I think they're really adorable. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so maybe this is a universal thing. No, so if you're Canadian, squirrels are very annoying. They dig up your lawn, they dig up your garden, like they always eat the tomatoes that I grow. They're just, they're they're annoying. They're pesty. (laughs) But they're so cute. I, I can kind of understand why they're cute. They have little bushy tails. And so when I went to Australia, I stayed with, from, with these friends in Melbourne. And one evening, I look at the window, and there's this creature on the windowsill, and it was a possum. And I flipped out because I was like, that is the cutest thing I've ever seen. And I became obsessed with the possums. And in the evenings, we'd like go out to the park and I'd walk around looking for the possums just to like get a picture or spot some possums. And it it was funny because they were like, you're having the flip reaction. We hate the possums, but you think they're the cutest things in the world. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, no. Yeah. Yes, it's all a matter of perspective when we travel, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the only thing that everyone does agree is cute is the quokkas on Rottnest Island. They're not a pest and we do think they're adorable. So, um, But having said that, if we go back to like, you know, wildlife tourism and stuff, I'm really anti-quokka selfies and that's a, the only reason that Rottnest has become famous 
um, in recent years is quokka selfies. And it really makes me mad because people, like, they get too close to them and they touch them and they feed them and that's not okay. So that's just my message for the day. <laughs> Don't take a quokka selfie. Yeah, that's a really good message because I'll admit when I was there, I did take a quokka selfie and that was Everybody before. Does. And it's funny because, like, it goes kind of in stages because at that time... I did feel very strongly that like, no, you shouldn't interact with elephants. Like I had some semblance of principles when it came to animal tourism, but when it came to Rottnest Island, it just seemed so harmless. And then in retrospect, I realized that the reason all of these quokkas are so sociable is because people just constantly interact with them. And so these animals are no longer really wild. Which is a shame because isn't that one of the only places that quokkas yeah, exist anymore? Yeah, there's like a small col- small colony of them like down in the southwest of Western Australia of mainland. But otherwise, yeah, basically Rottnest is it. So, yeah, so they're getting fed all the wrong foods and stuff and they're, you know, much too tame and reliant on humans and, and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, but about the same, like I had exactly the same trajectory. I was totally like against, you know, riding an elephant long before I realised that a quokka selfie was harmful. So... Yeah, this is this whole this this whole no more do better thing. You know, you you can't do better until you learn about it, and that's you know just how it is. It takes we can't learn everything like all at once by osmosis. So, yeah, I love it. I might adopt that saying because it really rings true. I think, especially in the context of travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we're always in it's just a constant state of learning more things because there's no like handbook that says this is how to be you know the most responsible, thoughtful conscientious traveler ever you know these are the rules and you know we don't know that you know there's so many things that we're just still learning about so I didn't make up no more do better but I don't know where I heard it first I must admit so what are some topics that you're hoping to touch on in the future with your podcast oh that's a really good question because you know at the moment when people aren't traveling so much I've been trying to kind of rearrange my topics and make sure that they're you know sort of appropriate but um Pre-coronavirus, we, of course, in Australia had had the bushfires and that was like already a big, um, you know, a big topic here for travel and the kind of climate change aspect of that. So I've uh, got an episode coming up soon, which is kind of uh, um, why is travel still important, even if it's damaging our, you know, the planet? Like, how can we justify travelling? That kind of stuff. I think we can definitely justify travelling. Because there's lots of, um, you know, lots of important things about it. I want to. I've got some guests I've already spoken to about like women's issues around the world because I think that that's important. Kind of, and I haven't really talked about that much to date, so that's important. I've got some more content coming up on traveling with disabilities because I think that that's a really underrepresented uh, kind of area in travel. I've got a friend who runs um, a website called Have Wheelchair Will Travel. And uh, I know from her that, you know, one in five people who are traveling have a disability of some kind or accessibility issues and stuff. So like one in five, that's like huge. So I think that that's important. All kinds of stuff. Some more things on traveling with anxiety. That's a topic that just keeps coming up. Cultural differences, because cultural differences can be both like enlightening, but also quite entertaining sometimes when you come across them. And um, yeah, that's probably the, the next kind of few months that I that I have in my head. What other topics have you got coming up? Because I um, I love your topics because they're very meaty and I love that. Oh, thank you. Well, similarly, things have shifted because of coronavirus. So we are trying to 
speak delicately about coronavirus here and there, we decided that we didn't want all of our content to be about that because I personally am very tired of opening up my uh, app and it just like all the podcasts being about coronavirus. Yes, same. Yes. We have felt like it's important to talk to people in the industry and just regular travelers about how they're feeling about the fact that travel is really on hold for the unforeseeable future. So we've done a few interviews to take sort of a sampling of how everyone is feeling. And then following that, we're sticking with the original program. So I'm working on an episode about cultural appropriation, which Oh, it's a tough topic to dig into because, yeah, like, and the thing is, there's no real consensus on it. A lot of the time, like it seems from what I've learned so far, a lot of it has to do with navigating consent and like speaking actively with communities to see whether they view or whether they can support you appropriating a look or a cultural practice. Um, and it can depend on like whether you're there in the country or whether you're back home. It also depends on like power uh, differences or like power imbalance between minority groups and white people. And so there's just so many factors to it. I think it'll be a really interesting conversation. Um, yeah, that's such a good topic. It's it's so hard to navigate, isn't it? Actually, I'm really disappointed. I was supposed to be attending um, an Indigenous tourism conference here in Perth um, sometime this month, but it's been cancelled because of coronavirus. So because uh, I was really, you know, wanting to, to get more of those perspectives because it's really hard. You don't want to, it's a really hard balance. You don't want to be, you know, inappropriately, you know, culturally appropriating um things from a but it, it depends who you talk to as to is this okay or is this not okay so I can't wait to hear what you come up with there yeah yeah I, I, I was inspired because I've seen in forums this question asked so many times like a traveler will post and say okay if, if I'm going to India is it okay if I get henna done on my hands and the responses will always be so varied and that's what got me interested in this topic um Aside from that, we just recorded a great episode with a woman named uh, Martinique Lewis, who is an influencer who works on um, representation in media, in travel media, um, specifically highlighting the black travel movement. Um, and it was such an enlightening conversation. I'm so excited to share it with everyone. Mm, that's a great topic too. Oh, awesome. See, I love listening to your podcast. Maybe I'll just stop making mine and just listen to yours. No, don't. <laughs> <laughs> we need each other. Honestly, I think like commu the community amongst travel podcasters is, is one of the things that um, I've come to really appreciate. It's amazing to see what other people are doing. And I think the more of us that there are, the more voices get heard and that is a good thing. Oh, absolutely. And I just love having um, someone like you on the podcast scene that is, you know, really, you know, like-minded and really trying to dig deeper and, and figure out, you know, this whole, how can we travel in the, you know, in the best possible way for, for ourselves and, you know, for the world. Well, do you want to close by telling everyone where they can find your podcast? And Yes, you can find the Thoughtful Travel podcast everywhere you get podcasts and all the show notes are at notaballerina.com because that's my uh, travel blog that's been around for uh, 15 years now. So <gasps> My travel blog is only like not even two years old now. I can't even imagine keeping it going for 15 years. 
Well, there's been ebbs and flows, let me tell you. (laughs) All right, Alpaca Pals, I have some news for you. It is now possible to support this show on Patreon. With Season 3 launching this coming October, Katie and I felt it was time to give you all a way to support us. Alpaca My Bags will always remain free, but by supporting us on Patreon, you can help us to reach some of our goals for Season 3 of the show. For example, we would love to be able to consistently pay our guests for coming on the show. We hope that some of you will consider supporting us for as little as $5 a month on Patreon. You'll find the link to our Patreon page in the show notes of this episode. There are some other ways you can support us, too. Leave us a review in Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook page, or just tell a friend about our show. We hope you enjoyed this bonus episode with Amanda. Be sure to head over to her show and smash that subscribe button. We will link it in the show notes. Alpaca My Bags is hosted by me, Erin Hines, and produced by Katie Lore here in Toronto, Canada. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at at alpacamybagspod or on our website, alpacamybags.ca. I hope you get to alpaca your bags soon. And remember, take that train instead of the plane. (laughs) 